Uh, I want to invite you this morning. I want you want to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter four, um, and we're we're getting ready to wind down this book. Um, we're we're in kind of the home stretch, and and um, Paul Paul is is taking us um, is taking us to kind of the crescendo. I mentioned when we started this study that um, it's structured. There's a standard structure to an epistle. Uh, that exists beyond the Bible. This was a standard way of writing, um, a pre- presenting an argument was you had this greeting and then you introduced your idea and then you presented your argument and then you presented um, kind of examples and cases and then you close your argument. And Paul is getting ready to close the argument. So I want to remind everybody because Philippians 4 is one of those verses, uh, one of those chapters where there are a ton of verses that people take and they quote. All right. Um, and, and often they quote them as a cur- encouraging thoughts and ideas. And that's not necessarily wrong, but you want to make sure when you're quoting scripture, you're quoting it in context. Um, and we'll deal with we'll deal with one of those verses next week. Um, the 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 verse, um, you know, um, and we'll we'll get to it. <clears throat> but um, but anyway, we want to we want to start this morning. Um, we're going to be in Philippians 4, and we're going to we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 10. And I want to invite you to join me again in a word of prayer um, as we as we prepare to go to the scriptures. <clears throat> Father, as we once again come to your word, uh, Lord, we are we are thankful for the capacity to do what we can do. Um, just being outside is something that a lot of churches can't do. Um, having the ability to gather and worship, there are many that have not been able to do that yet. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would unite um, our body, uh, not just Bedford Road, but the church um, around the world um, <clears throat> in your work and your spirit this morning. Um, those who have already worshipped, uh, who are ahead of us, and those who will be worshipping later. Lord, may we all um, be united in your purpose, your word, your gospel, um, through the blood of your Son. We pray this um, in his name, by your Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Now, verse 1 of Philippians 4 is actually the end of the argument from from uh, chapter 3. Um, and he kind of makes a conclusion. He says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord. So he kind of closes his argument. That's kind of the end of his argument. So chapters 2 and 3 is presented an argument for the mind of Christ. And he concludes, he says, So stand firm um, in the Lord. And he just kind of ends there. But then in verse 2, he brings up two women from the church in in Philippi. Now, this is not common. Now, Paul loves to mention the names of people, but it's not common for him to mention problems with names associated. He usually just deals with a problem in the abstract. Um, I've heard that among your church there are those who do this. Or you may have heard that this is the situation. Or somebody may be teaching you this. But in this particular case, he draws out two women's names. And I think he does it because, um, A, because of how deeply he feels for them as his sisters, as his fellow laborers, um, and because of their leadership role in the church. I mentioned at the beginning that the Philippian church was founded. um, The first gathering was in the house of a woman. Um, And the women seem to have had a very prominent role in Philippi. Now, this wasn't always the case. Uh, Some of the churches 
<clears throat> seem to have had almost exclusively male leaders. Um, but then there are many churches that Paul writes to that there are women mentioned. Um, and these are two of the women. Uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2, he says, I entreat uh, Yodia and I entreat Syntyche, um, who named her, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, to agree in the Lord. I, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of his fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know what exactly happened with these two, but Paul says that he wants them to agree. The Greek word he uses there is the same word he uses when he talks about let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Um, it's the same Greek word. Um, when he talks about being of one mind in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, he uses this same word. So he's saying to these two women, hey, you're out of phase, and I've heard about it, and I want you to get back into the, the glory of what you were once doing. Um, these women seem to have been extremely active in the founding of the church. They were, they were key and, and they were uh, working together with Paul and with, and with whoever is this true companion he, he talks about. Um, we don't know who exactly he's talking about, um, uh, but, uh, but he's talking about somebody, either their, their husbands or the, one of the main leaders in the church or maybe another woman. We just don't know. Um, it is masculine, but uh, there's a lot that goes into grammatical gender. Um, but but he... He's speaking to these two women. He says, I want you to come back together. I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to agree on this. Because their their disagreement was causing a division. And division always results in people taking sides. Um, and, and a division based on minor things is always dangerous. Now, a division based on fundamental faith, that's very different than a division based on minor things. Um, and, and I think one of the things that happens when we, are, when we are in close proximity with other human beings, and maybe it's just me, um, but I have this thing, um, when I'm in close proximity with other human beings, at first, the only thing I focus on is the big things that we agree on. This is great. This is wonderful. We're all in it together. We're going to do this thing. It's going to be fantastic. We're all Doctor Who fans. We're going to march together as Doctor Who fans. And then somebody dares, dares to say that Six is their favorite doctor. And you have to kill them. That's all there is to it. You just, Bob is nodding. There are certain doctors who can't be your favorite. And Six is one of them. Um, you know, and and you and then you start to oh well, what, what do you think about this? And, what do you, and then you start to focus on all these divisive things, and before too long, disagreement becomes division, and division requires that people say sides. And now the Doctor Who convention is divided between this guy and the people who are defending his right to believe that Six is his favorite Doctor, and everybody else who's right. You know, and and there are there are this 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 division happens. Now I'm making a, an absurd notion. Um, because no one would ever think that the sixth doctor was the best doctor. But, um, but this, and this is all nerd conversation. I get it. Not all of you are like, Doctor Who? What, what is he talking about? Um, there's more than one Doctor Who? Uh, yes, there's an infinite number of Doctor Whos, according to the last season. Um, but uh, this, is, this is an absurd notion. 
but in the church and in our relationships and in our marriages and in our friendships and even with our relationships with our kids, right? I mean, when your child is first born, you know, at first they're kind of gross and then they're just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen and then they open their mouth and you're like, oh, it's so cute, she's crying. And then after hour 473, this is no longer cute, right? This is no, how do I, what do I do? I was told, and this might contribute to some of my weirdness, um, but I was told that as a baby, when my grandmother watched me, um, her method of keeping me from crying was to put peanut butter in my mouth. This may be why I never shut my mouth now. Um, but, but uh, you know, we, we, we all get frustrated. I mean, every one of us has been through that in our relationships. This, this minor thing becomes a dominant thing. And if we're not careful, that little thing that becomes a dominant thing it becomes division, it causes it causes strife, it makes people choose sides, and we're so focused on it that we've lost the thing that we originally found as the core of our relationship. And for these two women at Philippi, and I assume for many other people in Philippi, what had happened was, at first they had started and it was the cause of Christ and everybody was devoted and it was the gospel, and then something little happened. We don't know what it was, we don't know how it happened, we don't know where it came from, but something started to fester between these two women, and before too long, they were obviously at such loggerheads that whoever wrote the letter and sent it to Paul via Epaphroditus, um, Epaphroditus, whoever wrote the letter mentioned that these two women were arguing, that their disunity, was their disharmony was wrecking the unity of the church. And, and this is not, when, when Paul writes this, understand, Paul is not reprimanding children and saying, get in line. These are his friends. These are the people that he has invested his life and they've invested in him. And, and this, is, this is hard for him. Something less important than what brought them together was now driving them apart. And Paul does not say to them, you know, you guys just need to make up. He says, you need to agree. You need to have the same mind. Well, what mind is he talking about? He's talking about the mind of Christ from chapter 2. The, the, the submissive, uh, not submissive, that's, that, that word gets misconstrued. Um, the, the holy, committed, self-lowering, humbled attitude of Christ that that's the foundation of their relationship, and yet somehow they've lost it. But then he draws from them, and he keeps moving. And I think it's interesting. He doesn't dwell on it, because he's going to now take their lives, their disunity, expand it out. He's going to use that as an example and expand it out to some some recommendations for uh, life in the church. He says, number four, verse, first thing he says, so so if you want to if you want to write down a, a kind of a map. All right, that's in this in this in these verses to fixing disunity, a map to refocusing relationships on what really matters on Christ. It starts with verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. He says, let's start with this. What's the foundation of your joy? Is the foundation of the joy that you have in your relationship is the foundation of that joy always in the Lord? Or is it grounded on something else? We're going to talk about the something else that's going on between these two women. 
He says, again, I will say, rejoice. Now, this, this in Greek, it's not quite as cool as it is in Hebrew, because um, Greek doesn't have the structure. But in Hebrew, um, they have this thing that they will do um, with, the, with Hebrew, where you will have a verb, like um, rejoice, and you will have the noun form of that verb, and you will put them together, rejoice joy. All right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's a construct. Hebrew has all these weird grammatical constructs. And um, they will take a word, and when they want something to be amplified, to be intensified, to be absolute, they will do this. So they'll say, rejoice joy. It's not rejoice with joy, it's rejoice joy. That's just how they write it. It's like a double negative. In every other language in, in, every other language in Europe, a double negative strengthens the negative. For some reason in English, we decided that a double negative cancels out, which, you know, it, it's kind of a random thing. It's like if I have two popsicles... They don't cancel each other out. I have two popsicles, twice the popsicle. But in English, for some reason, we're like, if you have two negatives, they cancel each other out and become a positive. I'm like, what are we? It's like grammar, a physics problem. Anyway, um, so when they're doing is they're he's reinforcing when he says rejoice, and again I say rejoice. He's doubling up this Hebrew construct. He's trying to say joy in the Lord is the foundation of getting past this disunity of getting past this relationship. And moving on, he says, let your reasonableness or your moderation, um, there's a lot of different words for this, um, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be named, made known to God. Now, people grab that verse. I just want to grab the context of that statement. When he says... Um, the Lord, uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, um, let your request be made known to God. He says, let your request be made known to God after he says, the Lord is at hand. See, so often, and this is a whole other sermon, but so often people pray to the God who is at a distance because they can't see the God who is in their presence. They can't see that God is with us he is in hand, and so they pray past him. And you know what, Lord, dear God, you, you, I know that I haven't been praying to you regularly, but if you, could, if you could turn your ear to me. Paul says the Lord is at hand. Your prayer is not a matter of lift my hands to heaven and hope that he hears me. Your prayer is saying, I know you're here. I know you're present. You are my joy. You are my hope. You are you're the present reality of God's presence. Jesus, you are here. And so I, I come to you as the one who is always with us, finding my joy in you. And I ask that you would do or heal or fix or, or reveal. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Now, Again, this is one of those things people say, well, I'm going to get I'm going to I'm going to pray till I have peace. I, I, when the peace of God comes, when I have the peace of God, that's when I know that God um, has answered my prayer. You know that 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 Paul's many of Paul's prayers never end in peace. He prays to God for things that he knows. He, like, like, like he, he talks in Second Corinthians, he talks about how he prayed for um, this thorn in the side, some kind of ailment or condition or person, we don't know what it was, to be removed. He prayed it three times, and God's answer was tough. 
God said, my, is my grace sufficient for you? I mean, am I not enough for you that you, you need this? And, and I don't think that was a, you know, the answer that he wanted. Because really, when we mean peace, when we say we're praying for peace, you know, we want peace, isn't it really that we, we want to know that what we want is the right thing? I mean, isn't that really what we're praying for? And, and that's not what Paul did. I mean, when I was in Bible college, um, there were many, many uh, young ladies there who were, who were pursuing their MRS degree. You can think about that for a second while I take a drink. Um, and so one of, the, one of the common things, one of the common conversations that would be had amongst the young men and young ladies as they were courting, because we weren't allowed to date, we had to court. Um, and, you know, you had to have your King James Bible between you six inches for the Holy Spirit. Um, but one of the things that they would say, well, I just don't have peace about it. I just don't have peace about this relationship. Now, what they really meant is I don't like you anymore. But I'm going to I'm going to put a spiritual spin on it. So you can't answer. I, you know, I just don't have peace about it. I, I used it. You know, I used it to get rid of somebody that I no longer liked because um, I was 19 and stupid and insensitive, and now I'm not 19 anymore. Um, but, but the, um, you know, this this whole thing, this idea of of praying till there's peace. What is he talking about when he talks about the peace of God? And and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna provide a little bit of this. I'm gonna go back to verse five where he says, "Let your reasonableness be known to everyone." The word that's translated reasonableness or moderation in different versions, it means, and, and when, you, when you look it up outside of the Bible, you discover that, that really what it means is not focusing on getting everything right. That your reasonableness, your moderation is being okay with not having all of the answers. And more importantly, I think in this case, being okay with other people's answers not being yours. Now, I'm not talking about fundamental things. I'm not talking about the deity of Christ. I'm talking about the minor details, the things that split these two women up. They, they, they were focused on Christ, and then they got distracted by the details. And, and let's face it, all right? Let's face it. Our culture, our society, really, right now, you can look out across our broad society and say this. We live in a world where it's not enough for you to feel that you are right. You have to make sure that everybody else knows that you are right and agrees with you. This is what our entire society is built on right now. That it's not enough that I'm comfortable with who I am. I have to make you comfortable with who I am. In fact, I need to try to make you like me so that I can be right about who I am. And we see this happen all the time. We see it happen on both ends of the political spectrum. We see it happening in high schools and colleges where people are being told they must conform to a particular point of view in order to be considered tolerant, reasonable, gentle, kind. Doesn't, aren't you a Christian? Don't Christians believe in love? We get all these things. What happened to the world where you could disagree with somebody and still love them and work alongside them? Because I don't know about you, but I'm married. And I know for a fact that you can love somebody and disagree with them. My wife really knows that fact. You know, and, and what happened to a world where it was okay to disagree and disagree civilly? 
I mean, what happened to a world where, where uh, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anthony Scalia, who could not have been more opposite politically, philosophically, were buddies who, like, hung out together, which had to have been weird hangout sessions, I have to tell you. I mean, and, and what happened to a world where, where, where you, could, you could stand on a platform with somebody you disagreed with and disagree vehemently and at the end shake hands? What happened to a world where it was okay for you to believe that you were right and me to believe that I was right and neither one of us needs to persuade the other because ultimately we're not focused on the details, we're focused on the primary thing. But instead we live in a world where everybody's got a cause that everybody has to agree with. Everybody has to give likes. Everybody has to... Uh, to, to conform to whatever my party line is. And forget all the stuff about the media and all that stuff, but don't we encounter that all the time where people say, people say to us, well, you have to respect my beliefs. I have to respect them. That doesn't mean I have to propound them. I don't have to support you in something I disagree with. I can disagree with you and love you and still disagree and not support you. If my daughter told me that her goal in life was she wanted to, um, and this is not a knock on any kind of particular role or anything, but if my daughter, who's very intelligent, very computer, she decided, you know what, I've decided that I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, I don't want to use my brain anymore. I've decided to become a barnacle scraper. And dad and mom, I want to sit down with you. I've decided to drop AP statistics, uh, Latin, and all of the advanced languages and, and studies that I've been doing. I've decided I want to be a barnacle scraper. That's what I want to do with my life. Now, first of all, I don't have to pay for college anymore. But the reality is I can say, honey, that's a terrible decision. Now, I'm not saying that people can't make money being barnacle scrapers. That's not what I'm saying. But I've seen you clean your room. <laughs> All right. Um, I have seen the collection of water bottles that have accumulated. And, and, and I, I know, I was like, this is not a gig for you. And we could disagree vehemently, and I could still love her and hug her as she goes out the door to be a barnacle scraper. I don't have to support that in order to love her. Now, again, I'm using absurdity, but I think that you can, you can kind of see it's okay for us to disagree with people. And in the church, it's okay for people to disagree. I can't tell you the number of times people told me they wouldn't parent the way that I parent, the way that Nicole parents. And it's okay. God gives you your kids. He gave us ours. And it's all right. You know? I mean, it, it, everybody's a little bit different. It, they're my mistakes to make. They're a minor situation. I'm not, I'm not reprimanding people. It's like people are giving me parenting advice. That, that's, I'm just saying, over the years, I mean, when Ariel was little, they were like, oh, you're letting her wear uh, green. Green is a boy color. But I'm like, what? You know, they, they, this is not important. This doesn't matter. You know, what matters is our focus on Christ. What matters as Christians, as husbands, as wives, as children, as parents, as employers, as employees, as grandparents, as whatever we are, what matters is our focus on Christ. We can disagree about the details. That's okay. Paul gives us permission to focus on Christ and let the disagreements fall where they are. 
And that's the basis of Paul's statement in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. He's talking about anxiety over making sure you get everything right. Making sure you lined up all your ducks. Because if we don't get everything just right, if we don't have everything the way that Yodia wants it, you know, things aren't going to work. You know, it's, 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 it, God's not going to be pleased. You know what pleases God? Our focus on Christ. The details will sort themselves out. The disagreements will not be that significant if our focus is first, foremost, on Christ. Because, and if there's a big, if there's a big idea this week, it is this. Relationships are about balance and Christ is the center of the scale. It's not about getting everything right. Here's Christ on one side of the scale and here's me and I have to even them out. It's not about here's all my bad things and here's all my good things and I've got to balance it out. But rather, here we are and we're just seeking balance with our focus on Christ. We just want to have balance. So sometimes balance means giving up on things we might agree that we might like or don't like. It means doing things we might not like. Uh, it means it means being willing to say, you know what, it's just not that important. I love you too much to let that get in the way of the cause of Christ. Now that's a hard choice. But let me just come back to our society. What our society says is, you don't love me enough to let me have my way. The cause of Christ is, I love you too much to surrender my convictions, my faith. I love you too much to allow the details to become so significant that they cause division, but I love you too much to surrender the foundation of Christ. And that's why Paul says that with everything, he says the Lord is at hand, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. When was the last time you had a disagreement with somebody and your response to that disagreement was prayer? Now, I'm not talking about praying with that person. You know, that, that rarely works. You know, it's like you're yelling at each other, like, ah, 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 you know, let's pray together. Dear God, fix this person. All right, that, that's, not what, that's not what I'm talking about. All right, but rather, um, you know, rather taking the moment to, to, to knowing the Lord is at hand and going and taking this, this moment, this situation, and presenting it, praying and supplicating and, and offering thanksgiving and rejoicing, and then coming back to the situation because now you have a perspective on what really matters. That detail was not nearly as significant. Um, that, that, that thing is not nearly um, as vital as it appeared when it was right in front of you, but now it, it, it's not as significant. And so you can say, you know what, I disagree with you on that, but it's okay. I always appreciate people who tell me that they disagree with me and do it the right way. Now, if somebody walks in, and I have had this happen, I have had people step in my office and say, Pastor, you are wrong. Um, let me think. Uh, one time I got told that um, my preaching was, this was 15 years ago, um, my preaching was great, but all that history gets in the way. 
And, and if I would just focus on application, my sermons really needed to be three things that people could take home. I said, well, you could take home history. Um, and, and, uh, and they said, well, you know, history and languages, it just gets in the way. And, you know, for some people, that's not their gig. I get it. Some churches are Nickelodeon and this church is PBS. I get it. I get it. Lawrence Welk in the back, you know, reruns of British shows. We're okay with that. Um, you know, but, you know, I, I get it. The people are different. That's okay. It's okay. We can be different. Some people say, Pastor, I don't like the song that so-and-so sang. I always pick on my wife, so I'm just going to use Janet. Not that anyone has ever criticized the song that Janet sang. But, you know, it's like, I don't like the song that Janet sang. Well, A, I'm not Janet. You should talk to her. She's a self-determining person. She, You can talk to Janet. It's okay. It's like, you don't need my permission. I was like, and, and B... What's the problem with it? Is it something that detracted from Christ or you just don't like the song? Because if you just don't like the song, I mean, there are plenty of songs I don't like. There are songs we sing in church regularly that I don't like. You say, but you have the final call. No, I don't. I mean, people want to, you know, as long as it's focused on Christ, as long as it presents us a, a, a robust image of Christ. Now, I do have certain things that I don't like. I don't, I don't like 7-Eleven songs, songs that have seven words repeated 11 times. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of any song that, that asks me, that is looking for God to somehow enfold me and, and, and case me. Because I don't like hugging in general, so the, that just doesn't work for me. Um, you know, there, there are certain things I don't like, but that doesn't mean that the things I like determine the cause of Christ. We have to keep our focus on what's important. Paul says to these two women who he cares deeply about that the peace of God, not a feeling of peace, but the harmony of those who follow him. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about peace between people, not peace in your heart. Not that there isn't scripture about peace in your heart and all that, but that's what this is talking about. He's like the peace between you, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's speaking in the plural. You got to make sure that wasn't a bear. I just heard all kinds of... He's speaking in the plural, to you plural, not individually. The peace of God will get into you. But the peace of God will unite your hearts and your minds when your focus is on the right place. So I said my big idea, relationships are all about balance. And if there's a sub point of that to keeping balance, it is this. Details only matter when they, when they turn our focus more to Christ. Details only matter when they turn our focus more to Christ. I'm a detailed person. I'm one of those guys that proofreads his papers 75 times to make sure all the periods and commas are in the right place in my 8th edition Turabian citations of, bibliog- of my footnotes and my bibliography. I'm that guy. <clears throat> but ultimately... Those details are not what matters. The details of whether the chairs are perfectly aligned or not, because we have this running gag about me and my chair and the chairs in the sanctuary, and they have to be in straight lines and specific dimensions. And I'm not alone. Eric Wittenberg's the same way. Last time we had to reset the sanctuary, he showed up with like line and a lever and level, and he's like, "Let's get these things right." We 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 have we we are similar in that perspective. But ultimately, if the chairs are a little wonky. 
if you guys are 75 feet away from me because of social distancing and all that stuff, or really just because of shade, um, those things don't matter. What matters is that we're here because of Christ. And the details, we can disagree on them. But the mind of Christ is the foundation of all that we are. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that your son never had a doubt or a fear in eternity past, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, who was and is and always will be the Savior, our Lord, our, our Master, our, our, our sacrifice and our model. Lord, may he always be the focus the core of all that we think. And Lord, when we find ourselves distracted by the details, when we become anxious over making sure that we've got everything right, Lord, give us the awareness, the joy of your presence to enter into prayer and supplication and find your mind again and come back together for you and all that you have called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.